Well, I think Harry would like me to leave. Well, I don't think that's necessary. I think Harry thinks it is. Harry thinks if you call him Harry one more time, he's gonna make you eat that cat. Gene Hackman. Is Harry Mosby. Hello, Harry. In Night Moves. Well, come on, take a swing at me, Harry, the way Sam Spade would. He's a private investigator. My daughter, Delhi. Would you believe Delilah? Well, she's gone. How long gone? Two weeks. Go find her. Making a living. Well, let's say 125 a day in legitimate expenses. From other people's lives. You can get cheaper. Can I get better? You're hired. Making a mess of his own. God, you're really prime, Ellen. You know that? I can't do screwing another guy and you attack my lifestyle! Your lifestyle has nothing to do with it! Night Moves. It's a mystery. I'm looking for Deli Grasner. Deli isn't around here anymore. Where the suspects are also the victims. I want to know what I walked into. Ask your wife. Well, are we going to talk about it? Well, it's your ball run with it. Where the questions. All right, what's it all about, Mosby? Is there still much uh, smuggling going on around here? The dogs have fleas. Where were you when Kennedy got shot? Have too many answers. <laughs> <laughs> Every clue is a lie. I've been listening to your ping pong talk long enough. What was in Marv Elman's plane? Drugs? Was it drugs? Night moves. Check. Check. Ah, oh, it's a beauty. It's a game where every player is a pawn. Harry Mosby, isn't it? Every move is a wrong one, and the winner loses everything. I want to know what it's all about. I told you what it's all about. You, what the hell are you all about? You're asking the wrong question. Gene Hackman in Night Moves. Guys, welcome back to Reconcinimation. I'm John Diner. I'm David Munchak. And I know, you know, this is, it's crazy times right now. It's, uh, everything is kind of haywire. And we are uh, coming back to you a little earlier than usual. We wanted to, uh, you know, just try to keep things as, as you know, status quo as we could. Mm-hmm. And we're going to ramp up the content a little bit as much as we can and bring you some, some episodes a little early. Uh yeah, so I, I, you know, let's let's just uh, get into it. We don't need to keep talking about uh, the situation out there. Everyone has to live it all day. Yeah, so thanks for joining us. We hope we have some fun talking movies uh, with each other and with you, the fans, all of our fans. Yeah, let's let's take our minds off of all the insanity out there, and and hopefully everyone is listening to this is healthy and and you know uh, following the instructions and giving your social distancing and all that good stuff but that doesn't mean you can't be listening to great podcasts that are out there like like reconcinimation and laser graves and and tons of other ones so conan's um glad you're glad you're all back here with us yeah thanks for joining us so um what are we doing we're the only two people in the studio a lot as usual on <laughs> that when we record that is they've all Everyone's been sent home. Yeah. Yep. But we are here because we also live here. Um, we are, you know, we're, we're doing exactly what we said we were going to do. Hackathon mm. continues Uh-oh. regardless. Hackathon part two. 
It's it's uh, our look back. It was going to be all through April. We're uh, we're still here in March, and we are continuing hackathon as previously discussed on our last episode, where we looked at uh, his 1986 film Hoosiers. Yeah, that was our last episode. Now you're queuing this baby up. You want to talk th- part two of the hackathon? Uh, part two half of hackathon. We're we're actually going back in time mm-hmm. in revert reverse order. Yeah, this one is a prequel. With uh, this, <laughs> I guess. Yeah, is it a prequel? It feels like a prequel to Hoosiers. Could be a prequel. Maybe maybe this is what happened in Normandale's you know pr- previous career. Yeah, yeah. He wasn't just, he wasn't a coach. It was all planted. That was information <laughs> that was planted. He, he he was he was a private eye. Clearly, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he was an, he was a uh, L.A. <laughs> private eye. Uh, well, we are looking back today at Gene Hackman's 1975 neo-noir classic directed by Arthur Penn, Night Moves. Night Moves. I'm just I'm waiting till all the applause settles. Yeah. Yeah. Give it a break because there are yeah. everyone's listening. Yeah, I can and, feel yeah, I clapping. can feel their applause. They've been waiting for this one. Yeah. Um, God, this was a movie I actually did not really know much about until recently. Oh, really? Yeah, it's kind of a forgotten classic. I mean, its cult status, I think, has grown over the years. It just, yeah. the, the what I remember most about it is the poster. I love this poster. Have you seen it? Um, is it the, I think so. I think I, there's one, he's like on the bottom of the poster and then, the water is illustrated uh, there. And yeah. So. It, it's one of those, you know, hand-drawn images that I, I love so much. Yeah. like It's like kind of like a Drew Struzan, but not. Uh, it's got, yeah, the water. You see his, his uh, private eyes license is like sinking into the water, and you see the airplane and yeah. uh, kind of a collage of imagery, but um, really, really cool-looking poster. And I was always attracted to that. You know, I, I've only remember seeing it in the last, 10 or 15 years and mm-hmm. um i've always wanted to it's like I, I need to see that movie and finally i did but that, um, when was the uh when was the first time you saw this um, let me guess go ahead yesterday. and guess guess wait what did you say <laughs> yesterday yesterday uh that is false day before yesterday ah <laughs> i was wrong again you, you fooled me again you david screwed up uh <laughs> yeah, I, I had never heard of it. Uh, I, the imagery of the poster, I, I don't recognize, and um, this was all new to me. So this was great. It was great to see a new Hackman thing. Yeah, and I just picked it up. Where was, was I at Video? Te- I don't think I was at Video Tech. I was maybe at Amoeba in Hollywood, and uh, I came across it, and I was like, "Yes, I need. To, I'm just going to buy it and and own it." And there we are. So, so I saw it actually last summer was the first time I uh, I had ever seen it. Oh, but, nice. Um, v- very fascinating movie and definitely another one of Hackman's classics that I, I would put up in, you know, the top top grouping of his films. Wow. All right. This is this one rises right to the top for you for the the, the hack the Hackman list. Yeah, it's definitely up there. It's a great performance. I mean, obviously, we're going to get into it and break it down. But um, Gene Hackman is just, if you look back at the scope of his career, 
I mean, he was acting in the mid from the mid '60s all the way to the you know mid 2000s with uh, what was it? Welcome to Mooseport was the last film that he did, right? Unfortunately, mm-hmm. uh, but really, I mean, look at his body of work, and it's it's all over the place, and it's so gr- there's so much good content from his '70s things to the Superman movies to Loose Cannons. How could you forget that one with Dan Aykroyd? Right? Nope. but then you've got you know unforgiven and and uh the firm and and all the other i think he did a couple of john grisham things and you know all the way through to royal tenenbaums and just so many great films and and most of what he did in the 70s was really fantastic Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah so we continue to celebrate his uh his long career and and getting into uh that right there at the this new Hollywood uh, style film, right with this this detective story, this this thing. Yeah, he's caught he's caught yeah. up in a story he couldn't even begin to imagine. Yeah, it's a really really interesting take on the detective film. It's uh, and we're going to talk about it here about you know, noir films versus neo-noir films and what the difference is and, and you know, the kind of movies that were being made in New Hollywood in the 70s. And mm-hmm. Gene Hackman, I think, was actually a, a huge part of it, although he wasn't... I, I don't recall him getting involved in the drama of what was going on behind the scenes, like Jack Nicholson and Dennis Hopper and Francis Ford Coppola. It was... Gene was always more of the guy who, you know, came to set and did his job and and didn't really make any dramatic situations out of it and, and seemed like kind of a go-to guy. Yeah. And always, you know, all, all of his, I, I would really say all of his films, he is solid, a solid performer, always gave 100% and was totally believable. I wouldn't say that all of his movies are great, but... Mm-hmm. He's one of those actors that you can count on every time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we said a lot about his what he can do and what he brings uh, in our Hoosiers episode, and you know, it's uh, um, to, to continue to take a look at like so. Hoosiers is kind of a almost a family family fun <laughs> drama, I guess, family friendly drama. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't say fun, but yeah, fam- a family friendly drama. Uh, you know, because it, yeah, any, yeah. anyone can sort of in, uh, enjoy the the the, um, uh, the spirit of of play and and athletics and all of that crap. <laughs> we, but this one's a this is a definitely a different turn. I mean, I, um, for the kind of kind of guy he is, right? I think. I mean, yeah, he's got his own. He's got his own things, uh, just like like in Hoosiers. But um, this is d- definitely different. This is definitely a different type of character where I feel like he's n- he's kind of going with the flow and uh, and this one and like the character uh, is and he's got a I don't know is he even is he just kind of lucky and unlucky the whole time <laughs> you know he's not quite uh, kind of both yeah. yeah I mean I would say more unlucky than lucky but. This is really this is the the more I watch this because I've seen it three times now within the last year, oh, yeah. and it gets better each time. And and you really, the first time the end. There's so many interesting things about this movie. The, the first time you watch it, you really you don't quite get the the depth at which 
the situation he's in and where he is in his in his own life. When you watch it back a second and a third time, there's a lot more subtle things that you pick up. Mm-hmm. Like there are clues all the way through this movie of just kind of almost like a web that he's gotten himself tangled in mm-hmm. and that he uh, doesn't even realize how t- how tangled he is. Yeah. It's really it's really an essential the more I think about it now, it's really an essential 70s movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this is among the films of, listen, I need I need some great 70s fare, some great 70s drama. You're throwing this one in the top of the pile, like, or at least in the pile of recommendations. Like, here, start with, start with a couple of these, including Night Moves. Yes, I would, you know, there's so many that, that I, obviously, I love the 70s and, and New Hollywood and the American film movement of that decade. And there's so many great films that a lot of people have seen already. A lot of people have seen The Godfather and they've seen Chinatown and Cuckoo's Nest and Taxi Driver. Mm -hmm. This is one of those that not that many people have seen. Mm -hmm. You know, the cinephiles have all seen it. But, uh, you know, anyone new to that genre, I would highly recommend this one. It's... um, and it really is. It's one that it needs to be watched multiple times in order to really get the flavor of it. Yeah, I can tell. Like, I I only did watch it the one time the other day, and I realized how it how everything finally comes together. And I'm like, oh, the second viewing of this must be incredible. <laughs> like, yeah, there's so much yeah. there that so many like repeating images and and references to things and allusions and uh, I don't know. It's just. Looking back on it and sort of understanding what I watched, reading some other incisive and insightful reviews, realizing like, boy, this is a, this is like such a well-written script um, and well-crafted story, uh, and everything falls into place so well, and it it's so perfect because you go along with him on this journey in the movie not knowing what he's getting into you know, the audience never is given more information than than he has uh mm-hmm. and then suddenly everything comes clear so you just you're sort of just having that aha moment with him you know uh it's fucking yeah and, and it's yeah it's interesting because when the when i first watched it last year i actually felt like alan sharp's screenplay was a little disjointed mm-hmm and then watching it back this time, I I just got it more. I understood it, and and it made much more sense to me. Yeah, that's uh, that's in. Like I wasn't sure what to make of this thing for a while. <laughs> like, like, exactly. I, yeah. Like, like what you is don't this know. Thing? You don't really know what kind of movie you're watching t- until you do it the second time. So yeah. Uh, for those of you that haven't seen it, go home. Watch it twice and then listen to the rest of this podcast. There you go. <laughs> um, but yeah, just to uh, kind of sum it up for those of you that may not either remember the plot of the film or haven't seen it and you're listening to this podcast anyway, uh, it is about Gene Hackman plays a private detective named Harry Mosby who is hired by a wealthy, you know, f- former, or sorry, not wealthy, but She's a former wife of a Hollywood film producer to go find her missing daughter who has disappeared. And he ends up tracking her down through, you know, several film connections and then down to the uh, Keys in Florida. And then he gets up and uh, ends up getting tangled into this 
situation that she that the the girl played by Melanie Griffith uh Deli is ended up you know getting herself involved in so it's a, a tangled web that uh he's found himself in uh with everything relating to her and then his own life is kind of a mess a marriage that's falling apart back in LA so he's bouncing back and forth between LA and the Keys and trying to solve this mystery and and other you know situations unfold through that which we'll get into yeah yeah uh that's perfect sum- summation because it, it's it's the movie's bigger than like just the the one case he's on or whatever you know there's there's always there's a lot more going on at all times um and like sort of like but it, it's so streamlined and focused on only his involvement uh, so you only get to see a little bit of you know of everything. It's um, it's all from his perspective, and um, yeah, you're you're along for that sort of frustrating journey as a viewer sometimes, and sort of like because you don't you can't you're not part of the scene, so you can't ask questions or anything. You can just observe, and um, and you can't get any more information than than what you're being told. Uh, but it, boy, it doesn't work any other way. I think it doesn't work unless you tell the story this way. Yeah, well, and that's that's really what it's about. I mean, it's about what he's seeing because we only we're only with Harry Mosby. We there are no scenes where that are without him. Mm-hmm. So, like in a lot of other you know noir films like you'll see you know when when Sam Spade leaves the room or Philip Marlowe leaves like you'll have moments with other characters where you can see like what's going on not in all of them but in some movies yeah you know you can see what's going on here it's all about what we're seeing with w- what we and Harry are seeing versus what you know we're being told so yeah um yeah, this is a really there. There was a bunch of of uh, detective films made in the seventies that were all great, um, but this is one of the really fascinating ones. I mean, there was Chinatown, The Long Goodbye, Clute, uh, The Drowning Pool, which was a Paul Newman uh, film, The Friend, The Friends of Eddie Coyle, and, and this is. I, I mean, all of those are fantastic films, and this kind of ranks right up there with them. Hmm. Um, Neo noir is is kind of a little bit of a different style of of film than than traditional noir. Noir films are almost by definition the you know that period in the forties and fifties with that really um, with that really like you know the harsh lighting, almost expressionist lighting. The the you know there's a certain style of dialogue and there, your tragic endings and. Um, a lot of moral ambiguity and loneliness and uh you know and there, there's a lot of great great films from that era neo-noir is takes that to like an extreme it's neo-noir is set after or are films that are made after 1959 i believe mm-hmm. or 1960 is when they they, it's, they sort of shift gears and by the 70s it's like you know the noir films like they weren't locked into the 30s 40s and 50s it was they could be in any time period they could be in any place they were much more brutal much more violent and way more sexual which 
back in the original noir period, you could only kind of allude to that kind of stuff. There was a mm-hmm. there was a code of content that you couldn't really show any of those at, at that time. And then by the seventies, it's everything's much more loose, and and that was all you know the new Hollywood situation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we've covered we've covered we've talked about neo noir before on on our show. What episode would we do? That was in uh, Copland, I believe. Copland. That Copland back in, 90. well, still in year two. but <laughs> Yeah, but still with us. Uh, yeah, that, uh, yeah, it, it's, this is, um, this is a little, seems like a lot more realistic or something, I guess. Is that it? Like, is that what a. Yeah, it's less theatrical and much more, I mean, again, I keep saying it, but that's what works so well in the new Hollywood films of the seventies is that grounded in reality. You know, again, all of these characters, all these actors, they, they're not your traditional like Hollywood beauty, you know, beauty Queens and Kings. And they, they look like real people. And, you know, I said that last time on Hoosiers that that's something that's so great about Gene Hackman is that you can always buy him as a real person because he is one. Right. Yeah. 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 He's not a Hollywood uh, glossy guy. Uh, he's a he's a real guy. He's like your Jack Nicholson. Yeah, I mean, there's the he's like, <laughs> he's like right. Your, uh, you're like he's like your um, would you say Pierce Brosnan? No, wait, maybe not Pierce Brosnan. <laughs> <laughs> but I think there was a difference between the energy of a Gene Hackman and the energy of a Warren Beatty and a Robert Redford. You know, oh, they yeah. they were also great actors, but. You know, it was harder to buy them as like your average Joe. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, because they looked like that next level, and they felt like that next level movie star. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Hackman's more like a, your... like a Brad, like a like today, like a Brad Pitt and a Leonardo DiCaprio. Like, it's much harder for them to play, you know, average regular guys because they just don't have that energy. You yeah. know, they they look like movie stars. Yeah, yeah. This is uh, Hackman's more of your James Conn type, would you say? James yeah. Conn? Yeah, that, well, that, you're, you're, yeah. Yeah, sure. You're, you're Dennis Hopper type. Dennis Hopper, there you go. There the you hop. Go. The hop. R.I.P. The hop and the hack. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> that was what they were going to call Hoosiers originally. Hop, the hop and the hack. Last hop minutes. The... Yeah, the hop and the hack. <laughs> <laughs> There's a poster out there somewhere. Um, <laughs> yeah, there is. Oh boy! So, this film uh, came out in 1975. It was directed by Arthur Penn, who is one of the most important directors of that time period. Um, he had, it was really, you know, his film Bonnie and Clyde was was the movie that really started it. That and, you know, The Graduate and a, f- a few movies kind of happening all right around the same time. But it really, Bonnie and Clyde is considered the starting point of new hollywood Mm -hmm. and you know he was able to take a you know traditional kind of gangster genre film and really flip it on its edge with how you know how some of the content between the bonnie and clyde's character and the sexuality between them and then the pure violence at the end and Mm -hmm. gore that was you know done to be operatic but yet realistic Mm -hmm. and had never been seen before Mm-hmm. Um, and that really like opened the door for Easy Rider and The Wild Bunch and 
And once those films happened, it was like, then it was just like an onslaught and like a tidal wave of creativity through American cinema through the 70s. Yeah. Um, he, but he also did Little Big Man, which was another important movie. And, you know, another really interesting film. I need to, I haven't seen that one in a long time. I need to definitely view that one again. Mm-hmm. And then Here with Night Moves, again, takes the private eye story and takes it to an even darker, deeper place with our characters and, and the events that unfold. So Arthur Penn is the guy that sort of is one of the, the staples to the this new type of film being made. Like, without his influence, we may not have quite the, the library that we do, would you say? Yeah, I mean, you, you can definitely pinpoint... You know, most of the 70s films all started with Bonnie and Clyde. So he's a really important filmmaker to watch. And his later movies, you know, wouldn't have the the impact that that his, you know, his films did up to this point. Um, But this is Night Moves is one of the more really more fascinating, rewatchable ones uh, Mm -hmm. of of his of his body of work. In Night Moves, you've got your private, you know, your private detective, Harry Mosby, is the the protagonist never really realizes the depth of his situation. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like we talked about before, we're watching everything with Harry, not quite through his eyes, but you're like, it's almost like you're, you're next to him, you know? Yeah. You're in the room with him at the same time at all times. You're an invisible man. Yeah. He doesn't know you're there. So uh, (laughs) like, like it is today, you know, (laughs) when I go and visit him, I just, slip in the door and he doesn't know I'm there. Right. <laughs> Did I just take this to a creepy, creepy level? Uh, hack, the hack knows you. He was in the studio in the last episode. <laughs> it's all good. He, yeah. He's fine with you hanging out in his, in his place. <laughs> without. He knowing gave me a key to his place. He got a key. You don't even break he it in anymore. Key. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> he just sent me, he sent it to me in the mail. I opened it up. There was a letter. It says, Anytime you want the hack. Right. And it was a key just taped to the, you know. Mm-hmm. So he lets me stop by. There you go. What a guy. What a guy. <laughs> <laughs> um, Harry Mosby is one of the most fascinating private eye characters that I've seen. And I, I do really love, like, Jake Giddis and, and uh, Donald Sutherland and Clute. Those are all really amazing characters. But... Now, having seen this, uh, uh, you know, multiple times, Harry Mosby is a dark character and very, very fascinating to watch. Mm-hmm. He is just in over his head right from the beginning. I mean, he's it's interesting. This and really Hackman plays this character so well to get across these emotions of these different emotions of bitterness and loneliness and anger and frustration and kind of all wrapped up into one and he is a guy who is just I I think the one thing to say about him is that he misreads everything all along the way about every character that he encounters every situation that he's in uh, every relationship I mean he struggles to have relationships with the other characters but you know he misreads what's really going on between him and the person he's talking to. And you don't see it 
we don't realize it until he does in the very last and basically the last shot of the movie. Yeah. Yeah, he has he has no clue uh what the the depths of every of everyone else like uh you know and you can only take things at face value. I mean, I guess part of it like if he really is a detective though, you'd think he would be always second guessing things, you know as this or i guess he's a private investigator right or is he a technically a detective yeah yeah but like yeah he's a private eye. you think he'd be like a skeptical kind of guy <laughs> like not buying anything he's seeing um necessarily but it's actually the opposite so it, it, the fact that he yeah. does this this kind of work um that you know and, and the, there's commentary in the in by the other characters that like the type of work he does is kind of like it's shady bullshit kind of work. Like, you know, it's kind of a morally, like morally uh, gray at best kind of work, if not black. Um, Mm -hmm. So he's getting judgment for like this line of work that he's doing. Um, And, you know, he's, he's just kind of like, I don't know, kind of just dumb about some stuff, I guess. And I mean, any, you don't, he's taking everything at face value and not, not really pressing things he's just given he takes what he's given and then moves on um and it's that's not helpful for him because he's not doing any kind of exploration or investigation or even acknowledging his own like his own perspective or his own like feelings about things because some of these relationships Mm -hmm. are very emotionally tied but he's he doesn't use he doesn't use what he has available to him um, to kind of yeah. stay ahead of anything, he's always three steps behind. It's, it's just like it's just like the, I mean, it's just like that chess game where he he describes it all to, uh, to was it Paula is her name? Uh, yeah, Paula. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, just what a genius thing! He's the one telling us what's going on in the movie, and he has and he has no idea. It's it's so brilliant. That was so brilliant. Yeah, I mean, he and I I caught that big time on the second viewing was yeah you know he he basically says uh, he's talking he's referring to this chess game which is actually where we get the title of the movie night moves um it's a 1922 like championship chess game that he's recreating on a little portable chess board that he brings with him and he's explaining how these two you know master chess players had this match and one of them had this opportunity to win the game and just missed misread the situation and ended up losing and you know that is basically what is going on with him and he doesn't even realize it yeah yeah it's uh, what a brilliant thing and it's so it's so subtle everything's so perfectly like uh well i mean yeah it's like the for the first time you see it you don't know how to read anything you don't you don't know what to do because he's openly trustworthy or just taking everything as he sees it and not really caring about anything. Um, you're as a viewer, you're sort of forced to just kind of go with it. Cause you know, they're the other characters don't have any choice. Like that, that that's how he's reacting to them. And that's just it. Like they, instead of like him, if he was being skeptical or being more nosy or whatever, the characters would show us a lot more things. Um, yeah. Yeah. Ultimately, I mean, I guess you'd say he's not a very good private eye. I guess not. Um, because he's not really, you know, pu- he's not pushing hard enough. He's not, you know, he like you said, he's not, uh, he's believing everything he's being told and not really questioning it. And just, you know, I wouldn't say he's going through the motions, but 
he's um, not digging deep enough. Yeah. And, you know, and that is why, like, he, I say he's not digging deep enough, but by doing that, he's digging his own hole deeper and deeper and deeper as he gets, you know, farther along into these situations. And, and that's one of, one of the things that's so great about <laughs> the 70s films is just because they don't spoon feed everything to you. You have to, you have to work harder to see what's really going on, and so many of them are better on multiple viewings. I mean, Clute for sure, Chinatown, um, you know, Deer Hunter. So many of these movies are just they really require multiple viewings. It was a really smart way of filmmaking. These guys did burn the candle at both ends, and that was part of why it all ended in the early '80s. But <laughs> Uh, I digress. I digress. Yeah. Um, Arthur Penn, just dialing back to Arthur Penn for a sec. Uh, he had said that he really wanted to, he, he tried to capture the mood of what was going on throughout the sixties. He was really, uh, locked into the, the Kennedy assassinations, both JFK and Robert Kennedy mm. and the, um, Munich assassinations as well. And mm. he wanted to, you know, really capture the feeling of, of what that was like to like have the rug totally pulled out from under you and, you know, have everything sort of taken away Mm. at the drop of a hat. And, and that kept happening through the sixties with, you know, both Kennedy brothers and Martin Luther King and Munich. It was like, nothing was, was as it was supposed to be. Mm -hmm. Uh, So he tried to capture that mood here in this film. I think he did a great job of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. Uh, He also, yeah, it's also like it's also a really interesting editing style of it, it, you know it, it feels very disjointed, but it's like I don't know, like a mosaic almost. It all it all it's like jarring a little bit, but then it all kind of flows together by the end. Right. Yeah. Well, like it's it's everything is there in front of you, and you're and you're just taking like brief little visits into when he's talking to this person and suddenly it, it's over before you knew it, 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 sometimes scenes end like almost at a, a illogical place, but it's like, that's all the information you need. That's it. We're moving on. <laughs> and yeah. And it's not like, yeah, like even cleanly done sometimes like a scene just kind of ends and then another one's ramping up and it doesn't have a good visual flow. Like, and it's very purposeful. Like you can just tell like that they, they did that to keep you sort of on edge there is an uneasiness, uh, I think, early on, because you're learning thing. You're learning a f- few things, but you don't know what to make of any of it. And I don't know. It's hard to make sense of things. So I can see like the uneasiness of all that tension of the '60s of of, of these these changes in America and well in the world uh, is is kind of communicated through that. Yeah, and Her- and Harry Mosby is like stumbling from one situation to the next like he's just everywhere he goes he's like learning something new or about a new character and then he's just kind of just going forward and doesn't even really understand where he's going it's like he starts in LA you know he meets Deli's mother uh, played by Janet Ward who is living off of or trying to live off of Deli's trust fund which was I guess back when you could do that sort of thing, being a parent of a working child actor. Right. Can't really do that anymore. Right, David? 
No, I don't think so. No, I tried. I tried <laughs> to exploit my children, and I, I didn't want to say it, but uh, you know, it's out there in, well, in the papers. That's why I'm their manager, so I at least get a cut of 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 what's happening. <laughs> and get... you take your traditional thirty five percent cut, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and not only is Harry, you know, stumbling from from place to place, but he's. Uh, you know, he, he can't really connect with the other characters. He never, it, nothing is what it seems to him. Mm-hmm. You know, he thinks he's got one relationship with each of these characters and it's really about something else that he doesn't even see is there because he doesn't know the whole picture yeah. until it's too late. Yeah. Um, you know, when he starts with, uh, you know, he's with the mother, with, with Janet Ward, and then, she ends up sending him to, I think, New Mexico, right? To the film set to try to, you know, find out what she was doing down there, where he meets the stunt coordinator and the uh, stunt pilot. Yeah, that's... Oh, wait, did I... No, no, well, am Quint- I skipping the James Woods? The, the yeah. Quentin, yeah, yeah. She, yeah, so, she directed yeah, him to she, Quentin. She drives... Yeah, she sends him to Quentin, who's a mechanic that Deli was dating, right? yeah. And yeah, which is I think James Woods, one of James Woods's very first roles. Yeah, he's a young guy. <laughs> yeah, he's like when I the first time I saw this, and he he comes out from under the car and takes lifts that mask up. I'm like, oh my god! Yeah, it's like a teeny bopper James Woods, know, right? Yeah, no, he, yeah, he started his career in the very early '70s, so this is one of his yeah first big ones. Yeah. Wow. And I was trying to think of if James Woods and Gene Hackman worked together again in later years. I feel like they must have, but I can't. Oh. I can't hmm. think of anything off the top of my head. I don't know. I'll have to look into that. Let me see. If I can come yeah, up with yeah. it, I'll let you know. Okay. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so he's he talks to Quentin and and you know who he pretty quickly thinks is you know involved in the situation with whatever's happened to Delhi and. As he interacts with Quentin through the movie, I mean, he's in Harry's mind, like everything is pointing at him. What? Do you... Oh, yeah, and the... yeah, yeah. What? Yeah. And then, and then after that, that's when he goes to New Mexico to the film set where, uh, where she had been kind of hanging around and working and was having a variety of relationships with the stunt coordinator played by Edward Bins and the uh, stunt pilot and had a relationship with him. And he's kind of like a wild loose cannon. And, and uh, it looks like Harry kind of develops a pretty quick friendship with, with the Joey, the stunt coordinator. Yeah. They became, doesn't it seem like, like they became pals. They become friends, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that, well, wait, well, is is it jo- yeah 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 well isn't one of them the director and then one of them is the stunt guy well no joey joey is the stunt coordinator who looks like he is basically oh, yeah. directing the stunt sequences that's right, which that's they right. do that's right know. yeah i'm, I'm mixing yeah. it up but yeah no he's the stunt coordinator he's in charge of marv yeah, yeah yeah yeah. i got the whole thing got it yeah yeah and it seems like when i first saw it it was like they oh these guys must know e- harry and joey must know each other but no they don't they just met here yeah and uh, Joey realizes that Harry's this former football star and, and uh, you know, kind of 
they kind of bond through that and and they're like you know gonna basically get together for a game by the time they they finish their uh little talk with each other yeah they they're men who can talk business form a a a quick bond uh through their you know the past stories and all that and then now they're buds like next time you're in la we'll go to a a rams game like all right yeah (laughs) totally it's fun and then you know based on on the information he finds out there he realizes that delhi has probably gone to florida to kind of hide out with her uh former stepfather like her mom's at one time husband yeah yeah the the latest ex-husband i guess right uh yeah 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 so it's a so harry it's a small chase to go ahead. to end up in in the florida keys um where he's probably wasn't he didn't know what to expect and then he's just sort of what welcomed by <laughs> by tom and paula and uh and, and even her just in their lives like hey come they just stay with us like hang out like this is yeah this is yeah it's all almost like a commune it feels like it's got that kind of energy you yeah. know yeah because they work on th- they work on the water but they have this like place and i, I mean it's just that they have that hospital like hospitality kind of charm to them and you know harry's welcome to to be a part of it and then he's tr- basically trying to get her to go to back to la and uh uh, so the, the things have to happen to make that actually succeed. So he's biding his time, right? Yeah, he's so like casual about the whole thing. I mean, he does not arrive at their, you know, their little area there because they have like this house and business right on the water. And when he gets there, it's like he does not have this air of authority. Um, mm-hmm. He, you know, he does that. He meets Paula, who's Tom's girlfriend i guess um and you know business partner Mm -hmm. and uh played by jennifer warren who making her second appearance on this show oh that's right can you name the first one uh copland wrong very wrong deeply wrong she was in oh go but way back go way back to year one and she was in a roman classic that's right slap shot slap shot yeah yeah slap shot yeah yeah yeah, she's uh, Newman's ex-wife in that. That's right. She's... But uh, yeah. she is, you know, they're they're kind of, they have a little bit of a cat and mouse kind of psychological game going on between them. But she doesn't, when he identifies himself, she doesn't really seem too alarmed. Um, you know, she just says that, like, he's going to have a hell of a time getting Deli to leave. But uh, she ends up taking him to the house and where he meets Deli and then eventually Tom arrives and nobody is, I mean, Deli's unhappy. She doesn't know at first that he's a, a private eye there to take him, take her home to LA. But, uh, you know, they all just kind of, you're right. Just kind of welcome him in. And, and he's like, you know, part of their little, their little tribe. Yeah. Seventies were a, a fun time to just hang out. Yeah. I guess, I guess back then you could just do that. Yeah. <laughs> that was a thing. You don't invite people into your home uh, today, do you? That just like walk off the street when they have got business. Uh, well, I do. I I don't have a problem with that. Mm-hmm. But not everybody does that. Huh? <laughs> no. no. <laughs> um, 
So then, yeah, so Harry begins to go back and forth between L.A. and and I think he goes back and forth between L.A. and, and Florida like three times. Mm. At least twice. Maybe twice, I want to say. Yeah. Um, he does eventually, you know, take... Uh, oh, before, well, before they leave, Tom sends uh, them out on a late night kind of fishing, swimming and fishing little little uh i don't know what you call a that swim. little adventure just a swim take her yeah. take her out to the water for a swim <laughs> yeah uh, and he goes and for... while they're doing that uh, yeah you know and he's he's developing his own harry's developing a relationship with paula uh you know just the way they're kind of reading each other while they're kind of on the boat talking to each other delhi goes for a swim and finds a a plane that has crashed in the water and freaks out at this dead body that's in there. And, and, uh, then it's like another, like there's so many fascinating scenes when they come back to Tom's house. And there's again, really not like a super panic about this dead body and whatever's going on with Delhi. Like they kind of have this like party and start drinking and listening to music. And it's just very, a very odd situation. Mm-hmm. It's, well, it's so weird. I was, I, and I don't really know the answer. Like at first I thought they sent, I thought by the end, like they were all aware that that plane was there, but clearly, and then we, then he like learns like, no, he, they left the markers so they can get the stuff. So they weren't even aware. So complete coincidence anywhere on the water they could go. And they happen to find this plane that's part of their uh, their dealings, and then, but I, I was just like, why did they? Why was he sent out there? But I guess I don't understand why Tom sent them away. Does it? I don't. Well, I think you know we'll jump ahead here for a sec, but I think what Tom sent them away so that he could. I'm going to reveal it a little early here, but. Basically, what Tom is doing is smuggling in artifacts from this, uh, what was it, from the Yucatan? There's these yeah. Ma- Mayan artifacts that he's smuggling in and going to sell. Right. Uh, so I think he was bringing in another shipment, which is why he wanted them to take Harry out of, you know, away from them so he could get this piece in that he had already smuggled in. Would it come from the plane or would it come from yeah. somewhere? Oh, okay. From his plane. Oh, his that plane. That was what I got out of it. Yeah. Yeah. So he, you know, just needed Harry out of the picture for a minute. And yeah, it is a sheer coincidence that this plane has crashed. And we'll find out in a little bit who this plane, who's in this plane. But yeah, I, I mean, I, um, every, I, I, I appreciate the, like, the summary of stuff. But like, I'm like, there's, like, I, I had to, like, have this question answered. Like, I don't. Uh, you know, because everyone supposedly would have l- watched the movie before they we talked about it. So I'm just like, I don't get certain things, and I appreciate you walking me through it. Yeah, well, this is this is one that like kind of needs to be walked through a little bit. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so. there's so there's so much going on here that nothing is what it seems. But on the surface, like this is what's happening. They go back. Delhi. You know, he takes. Delhi kind of freaks out about the whole thing. He takes her back to L.A., and this case is supposedly solved, right? 
Yeah, I, I was surprised there was like another half hour, 40 minutes left in the movie by the time <laughs> she got back to L.A. I'm like, what else is he going to do? Yeah, I mean, Work it's, on his I, marriage, I guess? Okay. I, <laughs> right. right. Well, there, it's like, I think, almost exactly the one hour mark when he technically solves this case. But he's also opened the doors to other things that are about to happen and and still hasn't dealt with his own life. I mean, his own personal life is a mess. He's... yeah on the verge of divorce he also stumbled into discovering that his wife is having an affair mm-hmm. yeah um, and his wife is played by susan clark do you recognize her from anything uh only from webster you got it <laughs> webster's mom <laughs> webster's mom yeah uh, and it's funny so harry's a former football player and they make this joke about alex Karras, who also played uh, webster's, webster's father that's right and was married to Susan Clark. Oh, that's right. They're married. I forgot about yeah. real life, real life marriage as well. Huh? Yeah. Were they married at the time of this movie? I wonder. I don't know. Time to look at that. I don't know. I'm gonna get on that. Also, uh, Gene, yeah. Gene Hackman and James Woods never appeared in anything else together. Yeah. So this was it. So this was the this is the the one and done. I think the hack probably said that's that's enough woods for me. I'm good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, so another yet another situation that he stumbles through is just, you know, he's literally he knew his wife was going to a movie with a coworker. He happens to be driving by and decides to just kind of stop and and surprise her, and then he sees her walking off with another guy and then driving away and. He realizes she's been having an affair and uh, lying to him. And, you know, he doesn't exactly, like, confront the situation right away. Like, he confronts, uh, what's the guy's name, Marty? Marty Heller? Yeah. He confronts Marty, and instead of, like, beating him up or, you know, playing games with him, Marty sort of has, Marty knows all these things about Harry and his past and, you know, gets right under Harry's skin, and then Harry just kind of walks off. Yeah, he was definitely put in a, um, a an odd place that he couldn't handle, and he just kind of got out of there. He couldn't handle like yeah. this guy knowing so much about him. Uh, and then, which is funny because he's like, Harry doesn't know much of anything. You know, <laughs> like, it's like this other character just yeah. comes in, and he's like, he's already like, he's got the upper hand on this guy, on Harry. You know, yeah. <clears throat> and he's really he's more it seems like he's more upset with his wife for telling his like deepest secrets to this guy than he is about them actually having an affair yeah it, it was that was like that was like the bigger betrayal <laughs> like yeah you, you tell you talk to him about me like yeah that's kind of i could see and i could see that in the care in a character uh, as a character thing like for sure like the the acts the acts uh, and deception have nothing to do or aren't as big as like you know sharing all this information and and who the you know to another guy another stranger yeah yeah and throughout the story you know he goes back and forth between dealing with uh, the Delhi investigation and and then the his obsession with these characters after that investigation has concluded and then going back to his situation with his wife and not really resolving it and you know every time she tries to confront him about their marriage and what's not working he just kind of 
takes off and goes, he's got to go back to the airport. He's got to go to New Mexico. He's got to go to Florida. He's, he just isn't willing to really settle the whole thing. Right. Yeah. Because then it, and like, is it probably like, because he doesn't, if he doesn't do this, then nothing really has to change kind of thing. Or I don't know. I'm right. curious. Like, is it, you know, he's just sort of maintaining it, but he, he ends up going through an arc by the end, like where he kind of, mm-hmm. you know, he decides he's going to, quit the business like what he's doing and kind of go a little more uh, into that his buddy's his buddy nick's you know detective business which is a little more like straight straight up and not, not yeah it's corporate. it's it's like a more corporately style of you know it's more of a corporate kind of style of uh agency with like a team of people and using computers and you know not doing the old school kind of detective way yeah and he made, and, you know, he makes that choice before things really got out of hand. But like, you know, the the case was spiraling out after Delhi had died, and then he had sort of made that. I think he makes the choice after that, or at least he was, a, or at the same time. I forget if it happened right after she died or right before that he was gonna give it all. Well, up. yeah, he he gets this message from Delhi that he never listens to all the way, where she was gonna reveal something, and while he's listening to it, his wife comes in and. He stops the message and ends up patching things up with her oh, and yeah. agreeing to quit the agency. And um, after, right after they've, he never goes back to listen to Delhi's message. So we never really know what that was going to say. Yeah. Although we're led to believe it's she was going to reveal who was in the plane that was underwater. Yeah. That's the thing. She knew the whole which, time, uh, which is such a brilliant thing. Like she knew uh, everything that was going on and never revealed any of it. Yeah. That's so nuts. So <laughs> That's she, a big twist. Yeah. So great. Yeah. Melanie Griffith is is really great. I think this is one of her this is definitely one of her first roles. Uh she was really fantastic in this and she had a long career too that um I don't know, was for me was kinda up and down, but some of her best work I really, really enjoy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, she's really good in this. And she was 16 when they shot a lot of this. And there's a couple of, you know, nude scenes yeah. that they had to, they, they, so they shot her scenes when she was 16. For some reason, this movie took two years to actually get released. So when it was ready to come back out, they, or when it was basically finished, they went back. She had just turned 18. So they filmed her nude scenes and cut them into the movie and then released it without having broken any legalities. Oh, you're kidding. Per se. Really? No. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, they shot this movie. They shot this movie in 73, and it didn't come out till 75 for that reason. Supposedly. That's. I mean, I think that, that neatly fits together, but it seems like a really inefficient way to mo- shoot a movie. <laughs> like, just, yeah, I don't know if it was by, like... It's... Who knows? I mean, it could have... They could have had a lot of problems... You know, this is, I could see this being a very difficult movie to edit together to, to really get that tone right and the pacing right. Right. So it could have taken an extra long time. And it was the 70s where, you know, there weren't, the studios weren't being run like they are now where it's on a clock and uh, it's all financially driven. And it was much more of, there was still an artistry to everything yeah. while still wanting to make money. But yeah. Um, so. Yeah, after they, you know, he patches things up with his wife. He gets, his wife finds out and ends up telling him that Delhi's been killed 
on the movie set in New Mexico. So right when this case is closed, you know, even though he isn't hired to do anything, it's like he's on a new case and trying to find out what happened. Why is Delhi dead? Yeah, he's too connected that, you know, for him, it, it he needs to know what, what the hell's going on. Like, <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, so that's that's part of his like he's a detective, you know, like, at least he's like sort of doing the obvious thing. He doesn't need this is something that he doesn't need to be hired to do. It's. Um, and I think I'm sure that annoys the, uh, the, the villains in this plot, like, you know, hopefully they keep him so like obscured from everything that they hope that he would just kind of stay away, I think. And then he just keeps falling backwards into, into these things. (laughs) Yeah. It's like his gut tells him there's something wrong here. So that, but that's like the only thing he's right about. He he's wrong about everything else that he's seeing. I mean, he immediately, you know, goes after Quentin and or, you know, at least mentally, like starts accusing and eyeing Quentin as the killer, you know, Quentin, who, you know, maybe rigged this car. She was this stunt car she was in that Joey was driving that, uh, you know, did he rig it to, to get her killed because he was jealous of, you know, her having the relationship with uh, Marv, the stunt pilot. Did, and did Quentin uh, mess with Marv's plane? You know, that's like one of his thoughts yeah. too, um, which doesn't seem to be the case. <laughs> He's not actually. Well, well Quentin reveals Quentin reveals that it was Marv who was the dead guy in the plane underwater. Right. Yeah, that's what we find out. So and then yeah. So why would he? Right. Why would he tell anybody that? Yeah, if he was involved. Right. So Harry thinks Quentin is behind both things, and he goes to the set and talks to Joey, who's you know, broken his arm and, and is all kind of messed up from the car crash too. And he shows him, he actually shows him the footage of the crash. And, um, you know, Harry's at this point, Harry's obsessed with this case and, and he has to find out what's going on. And, um, you know, he tells Joey, he's going to go to back to Florida and confront Tom about what, what they were doing and what they're, they're running this whole, it's revealed that they're running this whole smuggling thing that all of them are involved and Tom and Paula and, and, you know, Marv and, and Quentin are all some kind of involved in this situation. Yeah. Well, I don't think, I don't think Quentin's actually involved, right? I think cause he, no, Quentin's not involved, but he knows about it. Yeah. Well, all these, all these guys know each other, work together and you, you sort of assume that like maybe Paula wasn't really involved or, you know, just the way she treated, him like i kind of fell for it and then didn't realize like oh no she's she's in on it like it's all it's a whole thing like yeah uh, oh yeah yeah it's a, a, a pretty solid operation they have yeah um yeah absolutely they have a whole system down and and harry goes back there and it's funny because this is we see him with a gun twice in this movie so very much anti the traditional uh, private eye with the, you know the Humphrey Bogart kind of detective. Yeah, Harry the what the first time we see him with a gun, he's just putting it away in his drawer. Oh right, when he gets in the office. And then, right? yeah, and I think the second time is here where he ends up losing it like almost immediately. Yeah, the gun's never fired. He uses it threateningly, and then it ends up in the water. Uh, after yeah, everything. <laughs> Uh, so guns not necessary. Brutal fight on the beach, though, uh, between yeah. Harry and Tom. Uh, 
just kind of like it's like a messy fight. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's kind of like that's real what makes fight. it real because that's real fights are kind of ugly and uncoordinated. Yeah, they're not they're not the choreographed dance of uh, that we see on on movies and TV. Yeah, like like when you and I fight in the studio. Mm-hmm. I mean, it gets rough. Things get broken. There's a lot of you know pushing and you know grabbing of shirt collars. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a standard. A lot of shirt collars just getting. Getting yeah, pulled. A lot of shirt collars need to be retailored. I do slap a lot too. There's yeah. I'm a big slapper. Yeah. I you slap and I I bite and pull hair and <laughs> we usually just stop because we're tired. And then we're just know? exhausted. We just, like <sighs> Yeah. <laughs> and then you end up agreeing that Die Hard is a Christmas movie and, and then we go home. Yeah, but I always have my fingers behind my back. Uh, fingers crossed there so i don't mean it yeah i'll give you that yeah so that's why these fights keep <laughs> happening because i i never truly admit it and you keep falling for it i know yeah <laughs> uh so what do you think so that kind of brings us right to the end of the movie which is just where everything comes together and it's just you know a few minutes of just intensity yeah in a movie that's like this slow boil this whole time it suddenly everything is like insane yeah it all it, it really ramps up at the uh, the end there um, yeah it's a great ending there's suddenly like everything is coming together almost yeah. that it's revealed what the whole plot is that there you know that there's this smuggling operation and he you know takes Paula out to where they've got this you know where that plane was crashed and where this big artifact was going to be that they're going to presumably sell for a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when he gets out there, suddenly there's this plane, which did you catch what plane that is that's flying around? It's Tom's plane. That's Tom's plane. Yeah. But And so then you can assume that's, oh, that's I didn't Tom. catch that the first time. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. You assume, oh, well, that's Tom trying to take him down. Like he knows exactly where they would be. Uh, and then there's the big reveal that it's 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 Joey, the master. It's Joey the whole time, the, and the mastermind. Yeah. So, so you know, Harry ends up shot, and you know, I'd say seriously wounded on the boat while Paula's underwater, and she ends up you know popping up with the artifact at the wrong moment, and is taken out by the pilot of this plane that. We still don't see who it is, but at the same time that the pilot, you know, kills Paula, he hits the artifact and crashes the plane and ends up sinking. And then it's, you know, one of the last shots of the movie where we finally see who it is, like you said. And we're looking, well, we're looking at Harry from under the boat through this glass bottom boat and cut to the reverse of that where we see it's Joey stuck in the in the plane as it's sinking into the depths. Yeah. And it was Joey the whole time who was, you know, operating this scheme with Tom and Paula and uh, is, is, I guess, the mastermind of the whole thing. Yeah, or, yeah, at least, I mean, definitely, he, he was highly motivated to kill Paula uh, and, and Harry over the whole thing. Like, he, he couldn't let anything happen. So it's, uh, I don't know, yeah. he, he couldn't I let mean, anything killed- blow up. He killed everybody. Yeah. <laughs> Except Marv, I guess. I guess he didn't kill Marv. Yeah, like so it seems like Marv 
was like an accident. Like he just he just didn't make it. There's no there's nothing explicit. Well, and that's yeah, I mean, there's a couple of things that, you know, again, that Harry is wrong about, that he thinks Quentin has killed, has, you know, basically killed Deli and Marv. Quentin killed neither of those people. Quentin is dead. We come, you know, he came across his dead body also along the way. Oh, that's right. You can assume that Joey probably killed Tom before taking the plane. Right. Uh, Joey was trying to, like, clean up the mess that was being made by everybody, and and but with Deli, like you don't really know. Was that did did Joey kill her, or was that truly an accident as well? I oh, because we don't know if what we don't know how much Deli knew. Like, did she know Joey was also involved in that whole situation, or did she think it was just Tom? Probably just Tom. Because why would she get into a car with him and all that? Like, I don't know. Right. It just seems she could if she if yeah. I feel like. Uh, and Tom, I mean, sorry, Joey, I feel like must have actually killed her on purpose, got in the accident on purpose, but he really put himself at risk doing that. Obviously got yeah. banged up like in that cat, like that giant Yeah, pretty cast. bad. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, it's one of those, like, was it the broken arm that, like, had he had two good arms, would he have been able to get out of that cockpit as it was sinking? Right, exactly. Maybe, maybe. yeah. Or would he, would he have been able to fly the plane and shoot a machine gun uh, a little bit more right. accurately, I guess? I mean, he hit yeah. Harry, but, uh, yeah. All these things happened, and then there were consequences, and then everyone died. Cool. Yeah, and it's got it's it's got a very uh, traditional 70s kind of ending, which I love so much, this ambiguous ending of... Which really symbolizes the Harry Mosby character. I mean, he's he's shot. He's on this boat. He can't get to the controls. He's, you know, losing blood and and uh, you know, it's hard to tell exactly how bad this injury is. But he can't. It seems like he can't move anymore because he can't reach those controls. And the the controls are stuck, and he's literally just going in circles around this abyss. Yeah. Yeah, you could you could read it either way that he dies <laughs> eventually, um, or maybe something l- coincidental will happen and and he would be able to live through it and live with the results of all this crap. But yeah, that ambiguous ending definitely the the p- preferred one. I wouldn't I wouldn't want to know either way. I get to play it out in my head. Yeah, it's just a shocking. The imagery is very shocking and. Like, you know, I just, as the movie's going along, like, you don't really expect that kind of, that kind of thing. But the 70s movies were so good at doing that. Like, boom, all of a sudden, like, everything explodes at the end. And you're left with this character on this precipice of you don't know what is going to happen to him. Anything could happen. Yeah. Um, he could die. He could live. He's he's going to be a greatly changed person and much more... Um, you know, much less trusting of people, I'm sure, after this. But, boy, like, he just really, he misread the entire situation all the way through, and the person behind it all was, like, under his nose in L.A. the whole time who he thinks he's friends with. Yeah. He made a he made a, a buddy out of the, 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 the true villain of the whole story. <laughs> they, yeah. They shared beers, went to a football game. I mean, <laughs> yeah, what a time. Uh, yeah, and it's interesting. Like Harry's always 
removed from things a little bit. Like he's always looking at things. He's seeing things through other objects. He's always like he's looking at people through windows or he's looking at Paula through. There's a few shots where he's watching them through the screens in the house. And then at the, you know, at the end, he can't see the, the, the plane because the sun's in his eyes. And then he's looking at Joey through the glass bottom boat and, and, you know, there's always a distance and a layer between Harry and the truth. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. That's constant. That's everywhere. You're right. That's a, uh, lovely choice. <laughs> a great director. <laughs> yeah. Just a good, tra- a great choice about how, yeah, he's never, he really never has the opportunity to grasp the truth and see it. Like it's, yeah. there's always a, 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 basically a distortion in some way. Um, yeah yeah and and nothing nothing is as it should be for him i mean he's hired to find this girl he he finds her and then she gets killed yeah he you know keeps going back and forth across the country and the whole time everything is right under his nose i mean the answers are in la and i guess new mexico where that where that movie's filming but he's with the he's with the killer like very early in the movie and just doesn't have the clues and i guess why would he i mean how would he know all of that right exactly because he's only been presented with a certain amount of information there's clear deception going on it's not like the audience has the audience really can't read into these things and i think figure it all out uh unless you're just taking a stab at things like Nothing seems. Mm-hmm. Nothing is very obvious until the, it's revealed at the end. So, yeah, I think it's. Uh, yeah. He's only. He can only do so much. But again, because because of his job and his or like what his profession like demands of him, and then he doesn't do it. You know, he just kind of goes along with the ride, and then I mean, geez, he could have gotten himself killed so many times <laughs> if people really wanted to like, you know, make sure like he wasn't gonna like disrupt these things not that not that there was like murder but like around the corner or something but it's just sort of like he has no idea what he's walked into and they all and you know three of the characters do four of them do uh Mm -hmm. it's kind of um and, and it's just kind of yeah he's in this dangerous situation like from the very first moment he gets to florida well really goes to new mexico and then florida he's in over his head and just has no idea yeah yeah, that's life, though, isn't it? <laughs> Very true, David. Very true. And I think that's life. I think that's what <laughs> it's certainly the 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 feelings of the the unknown in the '60s. That I think I think uh, Sharp did the did the right job with uh, how this was written. Yeah, totally. That's um, it, it. Really, is a great product of its time. That I think still works today. I, I think it's still. I mean, we'll, we'll get to this shortly, but I, I do think it holds up. Yeah. Um, and Hackman is such a great choice uh, to play this role. I mean, he's always... When I look at Gene Hackman, I always feel like... I guess Hoosiers is one of those seminal roles for him where, you know, he's like the picture of strength and um, certainty, mm-hmm. you know? And Harry is anything but that. He's just such a weak character who's completely flawed. And, you know, like we've said, just 
never really understands his situation or what is really going on around him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and Hackman did such a great job at playing that role that he really wouldn't play too often. I mean, I'm I'm trying to think of, I guess maybe like Get Shorty. You know, he's kind of he's kind of a buffoon, more of a comical character in that one. Yeah. But so rare that he plays that that kind of role. I mean, Crimson Tide and Unforgiven and uh, Mississippi Burning and Hoosiers. Like those are all strong, you know, leading man characters. Mm, yeah. That Harry Harry's like the opposite of those guys. Hmm. Yeah, that's, that's what I was saying. Like it's a good contrast for like the characters he's he's kind of well known for. Uh, and then this mm-hmm. one, uh, he flies under the radar in a sense that like, I, I don't know if everyone knows this movie or, I mean, or is at least have seen it, you know? Like, yeah. It's very, um, I, it's not a po- one of his popular movies, but it's, it really is one of his best performances, I think. Yeah. Yeah. This, like you said, all the cinephiles know of it, have seen it and all that, but like, you feel like, th- I feel like this should have had more, this should this should have been more in the zeitgeist? I think it's 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 so well done. But I mean, there's so many movies from the '70s. Uh, you know, some of them fall by the wayside a little bit. Yeah, definitely. And and it's you know as the generations go on, it's you know more and more rare that that film students these days have seen a lot of these movies. Again, they're going to be they're going to be shown the big ones. Um, the deer hunters, the the raging bulls and taxi drivers, and and you know probably Mean Streets and The Godfather and all that stuff. But some of these other ones by not as popular directors anymore. Uh, you know they're gonna they're gonna miss some of these things. And mm-hmm. and uh, there's the depth of the '70s films is there's the list is so long of how many great films there were and. You know, we're just going to make sure that we recommend Night Moves to all the employees of Recon Cinema Studios. Yeah, I think it might go in the Christmas gift basket that everyone gets. <laughs> there you go. Merry Christmas. Here's Night Moves. Here's Night Moves. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just a burned CD that we... Burned DVD <laughs> at low res. With no case, no slip cover or case or anything. Yeah, just handwritten on Sharpie. Just it just says Night Moves. <laughs> Night, Night moves, Hackman. Yeah, Hackman. Yeah, that'll be the Christmas bonus. But uh, Hackman's got, um, you know, already has a good track record by this point. He's done Bonnie and Clyde, The French Connection, The Conversation, and The Poseidon Adventure, his biggest films uh, before this comes out. And, and that would continue uh, through the late 70s. Mm-hmm. Arthur Penn uh, had directed Bonnie, Bonnie and Clyde, Alice's Restaurant, and uh, Little Big Man prior to this, amongst many other films. But these, those were his more well-known ones. Mm-hmm. Um, again, you know, his career wouldn't. Uh, he would work with Hackman again in I want to say eighty-three, eighty-five a movie called Target, oh. which I haven't seen in a really long time. So, mm. but I'm now I'm more fascinated to rewatch it that. Uh, I know a little bit more about their past together. So they ended up working together three times. Oh, because Bunny and Clyde, this, and Target. Yeah. yeah. Target with Matt yep. Dillon. Huh? And, oh, <laughs> didn't know that. Yeah, right? The hack and yeah. Dillon. Young Matt Dillon. Yeah, wow. Post Outsiders. Yeah, yeah, that came out in 80, 85, like you said. Yeah. 
but the, you know the whole rest of the cast is all really solid in this movie it's just a great you know supporting cast of character actors that you know no i mean melody griffith became a big huge name and so did james woods but they weren't at this point so it's a really nice mix of of faces and 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 characters that uh mm-hmm. make up this movie i mean i i wonder if you had put another star in this movie it would have been distracting and maybe too much of a giveaway yeah it could be yeah if like yeah you had a big star playing joey or something like that uh that might yeah that might be a giveaway yeah i mean i don't know who at the time you would have like if you had a i was gonna say robert duvall but he was too young to play joey at this point but Mm. uh you know like a george c scott or something playing joey it might have been like well there's gonna be like we're not we're not seeing enough of this character to have this actor this caliber actor play him yeah yeah you know you would you would be expecting like oh we've only seen george c scott for two minutes in this movie he's got to be showing up again right so yeah you'd be looking for it yeah but uh, I really love Jennifer Warren in the movie. It's one of the a really solid uh, female role um, that is, I think, underappreciated. Yeah, she she's really great in this. And like Paula is like someone who kind of challenges him without without being too like he doesn't react. But like I think she gives him the challenge of like trying to I don't know figure things out for himself and. Uh, Mm-hmm. Um, because she's very like she understands her situation like very clearly like who she is and where, what she's doing there and and they, she's not revealing it all, at all but it's like um, and they have this sort of dance like around each other uh, and it, they play very well together yeah it's um, it's a great I think it's a great match with the two actors there yeah does this is this but um this, what go ahead well it's like and, so, and just going back to melanie griffith uh like do you think be, is, is the is the nudity really necessary do you think maybe the nudity holds it back from being more of a i, I don't know like what's the level of nudity in the 70s like i mean because it's nothing egregious it's all and it's all played very innocently and not like erotically um, but mm-hmm. is that a factor you think in some of how these movies take off um, from that I era? think I think there was a fascination with it because it could start getting away with showing more okay so I think it was in an attempt to uh, add more realism to it mm-hmm. you know they were they were just having nudity be a part of things was it needed in this movie no I don't think so no yeah not at all I mean, it's, I have no problem with it, but I'm just curious. Like, I wonder, like, because again, like, such a well acted movie, great story, just um, everybody. In, but some some things held it back in a sense, um, and I'm wondering if that's maybe something to do with it. I don't know. Not that it's like a turnoff, but it's sort of like this distraction. Yeah, I was gonna say, was it distracting for you? Sort of like it, I because it, yeah, it didn't. I don't know. It didn't serve a real purpose. Uh, yeah, especially the first time you see her when she's getting changed, like outside while doing the laundry, it was like didn't really need that. Yeah, um, but I mean Paula's character. I mean there is that. There's this the story that she has, and and then 
that that he accuses her of making up and then i don't know i guess there's like a sensuality to the whole thing with her but i don't know it's a eh, just just throwing something at the dartboard like in terms of like well i think uh, their their whole relationship is yet another way harry misreads it that she's playing him yeah. and manipulating him and he has no idea he thinks they're actually connecting and it is portrayed that way especially the first time you watch it so you know after the big reveal of the ending it is it is important to go back and see how well all these people are working harry which you don't realize that first time yeah i definitely i'm gonna i, I think maybe i'll watch it again tomorrow just to give it a I think you should watch it immediately when we're done recording. Maybe I will. Maybe I will. The um the only other (laughs) the only other thing that kind of bumped me a little bit is it's a little and I guess it's part of the editing style, but it's a little hard to follow the timeline of you know like it's like they're all chasing each other. Like Harry's talking to Quentin, then he goes to new mexico and goes to florida and quentin's in florida so it's you know and and marv had just been in florida i mean he had just seen him in new mexico it's like they're all all, literally all over the country and it's a little hard to track the reality of how quickly like what is the time frame here right yeah it's like they is it the same day they're leaving and all that i mean yeah like quentin was probably only a, a couple hours behind harry or a couple hours ahead of harry when he got to Florida yeah. and got, and got killed. Uh, yeah. And uh, yeah, I could, I could see that, that, but it is that this, it still maintains that disjointed uneasiness. That's like intentional almost. Uh, you don't get to see everything. Yeah. I think it is intentional, but it, it's, it's a little jarring just, just a little bit. Yeah. So. I, I agree. I agree with you. You still, you, the question pops in your head like, wait, how, mm-hmm. what? So that, that is a little distracting for a viewer. Uh, we talked about the script by Alan Sharp. It was actually originally titled The Dark Tower, and it sounds like Arthur Penn was able to get in there and tighten up a few things on the script and then change the name to Night Moves to you know, mirror the chess imagery that is kind of throughout the whole film. But I don't know where The Dark Tower, what that even refers to yeah. in this movie. Yeah, what would that be? <laughs> It doesn't make sense. Like, was that their working I, title? Like, was it the, like the fake title that you do so no one knows what the real project is? Yeah, maybe is? it was just a temporary thing. Yeah. yeah, who knows? Yeah. Um. Yeah, we talked about it. it was filmed in 1973. It was released in 1975. Uh, was filmed in uh, Wakula Springs, Florida, uh, and Sanibel Island. So those are, you know, stood in for the. Uh, Florida Keys. Yeah. Um, it was a little hard to find the the bo the box office for this. I couldn't find anything. Film. It's. I there's like nothing out there. I, I it's hard to tell what the budget was. It's hard to tell. Yeah. I, I know that the it was not hugely successful when it came out. Mm-hmm. It was definitely a movie that I think over a long period of time uh, found success, but it was not considered at Arthur Penn's level uh, of his previous work. And there was a big concern for the mid and late seventies, like where Arthur Penn's career, where Robert Altman's career were going and, you know, were they going to turn this weird direction that, that viewers weren't going to want to watch. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. But it, st- it started with night moves that people just weren't, didn't, it wasn't a bomb, but it wasn't a hit either. Sure, sure. It's just the, it's just a movie that was out. <laughs> it was just there. Yeah. It was just a choice. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. There was, you know, there was so much, so many great films coming out throughout the 70s. This one seems like it just kind of slipped through and didn't make much of an impact when it was released. Hmm. That's a shame. But And it's kind of, it was, it was kind of a forgotten movie for so long. It was like, there was no buzz about it. It wasn't played on TV. I mean, you never heard of it as a kid, right? No, I don't know. Yeah, no. I thought we were. Do- I honestly thought we were reviewing uh, Bob Seger up until a couple of days ago. So when when you put this on yeah. the dock, well, you know, <laughs> but that's what we talked about. It's it's a Saturday. We don't talk about Seger. Right. It's not Seger Saturday. That's right. You're right. You're right. <laughs> no yeah. Bob Seger on Saturday nights. Yeah, but no, I had no idea. I mean, I and I'm I'm not a I'm not aware of things. Sometimes I'm aware of things, but we'll never. You know, many popular uh, or uh, things that are, that are a, a must see. Um, never, I never got around to. Uh, this was not any either of those. It wasn't a must see. Yeah. It wasn't a thing I even heard about. It wasn't. Uh, you know, they didn't run it on TBS. You know, movies for guys who like movies. That whole thing that just they didn't they didn't do it there. It wasn't on any of the uh, broadcast networks. It was. It was just kind of gone, and then suddenly it was on DVD in the you know mid two thousands, and and I think that's where it started to build another life. And I really do think the poster had a lot to do with it. That people saw it and were like, "Oh, Gene! Oh, here's a Gene Hackman movie we haven't seen." Mm, yeah, and uh, it started to build word of mouth through that. Yeah, but, so I'm gonna you know I'll put it on the poster. But yeah, well the the movie started <laughs> to get a little viral. People started talking about it eventually again. Yeah, and here we are talking. Yeah, about but overall, what? Yeah, overall, what do you think? Well, does it work in twenty twenty? There are too many issues. No, I think it's I think it's good. It's good, good, like neo noir detective movie. Um, it's well crafted. I I think it works. I don't think it's 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 missing anything. I feel like it as a sort of meditation on. Um, I don't know. What? Jeez, I don't know. What is a meditation? But it's. I don't know. I it's. I think it works. I think it's really enjoyable. Uh, no, big big thumbs thumbs up. My nose. Yeah, I agree. I think uh, it's. You know, if you like detective movies, if you like seventies films, if you like Arthur Penn or Gene Hackman, um, it's. You know, it's a really great mystery story and just the way it unravels. And I know we obviously spoiled everything here for you guys, but it's definitely worth watching. Great acting performances and uh, great directing as well. Um, really worth a a rewatch. Yeah, get in there. I think everyone should get in there. Go watch it. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this is, and, uh, this is a tough so, movie if, yeah, if, if they're listening to us and have not seen it. It's kind of nuts. We should have... I mean, I know we said it at the top, but like, I, I hope to God everyone had seen this movie, <laughs> like, because yeah, the, all the enjoyment's gone is gone. It's, it's spoiled the ending. <laughs> it's over. Um, yeah, but no, just but either way, no, you're gonna get something out of it. 
Yeah, so go to your local video stores. You know, for us, it's Videotech here in, in uh, nearby South Pasadena, uh, They, uh, which you can still rent videos from. And it's uh, always important to support your local businesses. Yeah. So if you have a, a, a brick-and-mortar video store, highly recommend doing that before you just give all your money to Amazon or Hulu or whoever else. Yeah, so yeah. No, that's that's my two cents. I, I'm with you. I, I'm, I stand with the retailers, the small, st- the small yeah. businesses. I stand with the small businesses. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, yeah, support them. And uh, support so the I think, I think, yep, definitely. <laughs> I think uh, that reconcinemizes night moves. Hey, we did it. We did it. We did. It's been reconcinemized. Let's bring that word back. I know we don't use it. We don't use it enough. You're right. It's been reconsinemized um, for your health. <laughs> we, uh, I do want to just mention real quick that uh, if you guys have not noticed, our uh, our previous episode and this episode are now uh, launching on Sunday nights. So we have moved our show to Sunday nights at 9 p.m. Uh, Pacific. That's midnight Eastern. So you can have that ready for your Monday morning commutes. We can talk a little film on your drive to, you know, downtown uh, Manhattan or St. Louis or mm-hmm. Chi-Town or San Francisco. All those cities where everyone's listening. Uh, you can now uh, check it out mo- Monday mornings very early. Yeah, check. get your podcast app fired up. <clears throat> Come join us in the morning. Yeah. John and the Munchman in so the morning. Make, Make sure you uh, subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts and wherever you listen to your, uh, wherever you get all your podcast uh, goodies. Uh, we're on Podbean, we're on Spotify, we're on uh, Stitcher, we're we're everywhere. But you can always, of course, find us at www.reconcinemation.com, where we have not only this episode but our entire archives, almost a complete two years worth, uh, all there. Yeah. Swing on by. Tell your friends. Send them a link. Yeah. And give us a... Uh, send them a link and then, you know, give us a, f- a five-star rating and a review. It, it always helps the show uh, boost us up and gets us out there. You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Reconcinimation Podcast. Uh, always uh, drop us a line there. We're, we'll uh, we'll take suggestions, too. You want to hear something else? You want hack Hackathon to continue? You just tell us what you'd like us uh, to, to look back on and happy to do it. Yeah, so, love those suggestions. Uh, yeah, yeah. And as always, uh, thank you to our friends and, and family in the podcast, E.K. Wimmer, for the theme music. And uh, don't forget to check out his podcast, Laser Graves. Very, uh, some great shows there. And uh, our friend Curtis Moore for the poster, as always. And, uh, you know, everybody just... Times are a little crazy out there, uh, but we are going to keep plugging through and and, uh, releasing podcasts as often as we can. So stay tuned. We'll try to get, uh, you know, if we can get one in a week, we'll try. If not, it'll be every other week. Uh, So just stay tuned to our our site and, again, wherever you subscribe to podcasts and check us out. Perfect. That that's all I got. I'm spent, David. Wow, you really yeah, you gotta hit all those the all the ending stuff there. Yeah. That's a tough one. <laughs> Good work. Night moves just takes it out of me. I gotta go I gotta go take a bath. <laughs> yeah. Have your Saturday bath. Uh, 
And then we'll uh, we'll be back here again to finish off the hackathon. Get ready, it's coming. Oh, we're not done. Yeah, we're not done. This time machine is rolling back in time even further. So I'm not going to spoil what it is. You might be able to guess it, but uh, stay tuned. We'll be back uh, sooner than you think with the next episode of Hackathon and Reconcinimation. Bye now.